One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Some bad news, though. Oh, my David here. I'm struck down right now with Ryder Cup fever. I look here on Murphy here. I've, Looks, I've, I'm running the high temperature on, on the Ryder uh, Cup fever front. Well, no, you have All-Ireland Final Replay fever. Just well, whatever, whatever. I'm a thick man, <laughs> one way or the other. And Ken has Merseyside and North London Derby sickness. Uh, yeah. What com- a weekend. Complex syndrome. <laughs> it's a complex syndrome involving let's two hope, important Let's hope they're not uh, contagious. Otherwise, the three of us face a torrid weekend. <laughs> Our US Murph slot will be devoted to the Ryder Cup and the incendiary comments oh. of Lefty. Not only are we uh, able to play together, together, we also don't litigate against each other. And that's a real plus, I feel, heading into to this week. A couple of things about that quote there. Can I, you look shocked. I mean, you look appalled. Not shocked. I, I feel Lefty, the world's most inappropriate nickname. <laughs> well, I mean, can you just, explain why? I just think Phil Mickelson is probably quite right wing. Mm-hmm. Um, he well, he's a U.S. Ryder Cup golfer, left-handed, but probably a man of the right, uh, politically mm. speaking. What I love about that quote is the second part of it. So he makes a gag and then completes it in total golf speak. And that's a real plus, I feel, heading into this week. <laughs> Drop bomb and then complete it as a golfer. Yeah. Complete. Uh, the I, first think, you know, I, th- I think he was ha- really happy with how the, the joke went, but then <laughs> thought maybe that he had to say something else just to make sure that the journalist knew that he'd finished making the gag. It's just such an inappropriate joke. Like, I mean, how could you think? How could you make that thinking it was a joke? Well, it's just I, embarrassing. Like. I don't think so. Come on. This is a tournament that probably takes itself a little too seriously as things stand. At least we don't litigate against each other. Well, number one, tending fate. And number two, I mean, <laughs> to be strictly accurate, Rory McIlroy didn't litigate against Graham McDowell. I mean, but it wasn't, it's not quite as clear-cut as that. But, I mean, the two boys, Graham McDowell was dragged into that court case yeah. and wasn't too happy about it. The two lads, uh, McDowell admit, their relationship cooled somewhat. They look like best buddies now, practicing together and doing interviews together and all this kind of thing. But uh, I don't know. If Phil Mickelson can't make a gag about that. Then um, we've, we are taking it too seriously, I think. But uh, it was funny how nervous the laughter was there. Yeah, well, see, the thing I think that the journalists were going for was if we laugh too uproariously at this, then people might just laugh it off. So if we stay silent, then we can say, well, you know, Phil Mickelson blasts European team. What you don't want to do is lessen the impact of the only interesting thing that's going to be said <laughs> in the road to the Ryder Cup. I mean, that's the last thing you want to do. That's just professionalism. Man. We're going to get onto that with US Murph in a second. Morris O'Brien is in studio later on with Michael Kavanagh, eight-time All-Ireland winner with Kilkenny to chat about the hurling. Largely team selection issues, which in other years and with other teams can be pretty dull. I'm not going to lie, just sitting around talking about who might play and who might not play. But when the rumours are that Tommy Walsh is going to be back in the team, Murph, um, so says Twitter. Uh, Henry Shefflin that's been rumbling along all season yeah. Where, will this finally be the day that Henry Shefflin gets back in the side there are three or four p- other potential changes that could be made here it does actually become quite interesting yeah and I think that um, uh, you know it, it's a nice little welcome change of pace as well and that when the team is announced there's probably an excellent chance that's the team that's going to play as well as opposed to the 
Jimmy Guinness for it last week, who was asked 45 minutes before the game started. So, will this team bear any resemblance to the team that was named during the week? And he said, yes, it will bear a resemblance. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. You know, only an hour out from a, an All-Ireland final. Cody will stick to his guns is what you're saying. Yeah, he, I think so, pretty much. Too big, well, too big for dummy teams. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't think he's ever really done it. Maybe when there's like been six-day turnarounds and stuff like that uh, for replays, but when there's been two or three weeks for him to pick a team, he usually picks a team and goes with it. And we have got our first ever current NFL player on the show today. I hope you're all excited about that. Patrick, I'm very excited. Yeah, Patrick Murray's his name, Ken. He's a kicker with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's three games into his first season in the league with a kicking technique that was honed by hours and hours of practice in Clonus, Smurf. Yes. Yes, this is for real. He's a nephew of uh, Kieran Murray, the uh, legendary Monaghan footballer from the 1980s, a uh, team that won the National League in uh, 84, wasn't it, and two Ulster Championships as well. Um, and he returned to Ireland every summer, did Pat, yeah. uh, and played Gaelic football. From which state? Uh, from which New state? New York. Ah. As far as I know, yeah, I'll, was, I'll, yeah, I'll double check that before chatting. Yeah, it was New York or uh, New Jersey. He certainly went to college. So he went to school in New Jersey and, and college in, in New York. In New York, so um, yeah, I mean it's uh, it's pretty interesting, and it it seems as if he's uh, very much in touch with his uh, with his Irish roots. Oh, absolutely, the interviews also. I've been reading in the in the lead up to chatting to this guy, yeah, he absolutely is. I mean, he's he's uh, he credits his father. He credits his father. He said he was a tough man from Northern Ireland, and that's um, that has rubbed off on me. He talks a lot about. Uh, his uh, uncle as well and the Gaelic football background so really looking forward to chatting to all that uh, chatting about all that I should say to Patrick Murray a little bit later on if you're a fan of US Murph you'll know that golf is right up there among his top sports probably vying with his beloved baseball Mm. in his uh, affections so I'm imagining he's going to be pretty excited about the Ryder Cup let's get to it Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Great three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Brian Murphy, I assume you've heard the news. Your slightly tenuous tip of Donegal to win the All Ireland for <laughs> for pretty obscure reasons um, didn't work out. Unfortunately, Kerry are the All Ireland champions this year. Darn it! Well, first of all, congrats to Kerry. Much love for the kingdom and uh, the boys. They're like the New York Yankees, aren't they? Of the GAA. Yeah. So oh, yeah. uh, you know that's you know obviously uh, uh, a majestic winner, well deserved, and all that. I think I'm going to have to go back to my reasoning, which uh, might have been my fatal flaw. Mm. Uh, I mean, maybe relying on my buddy's old pickup line of a chick <laughs> from Donegal was not the best way to go. No. But, but sounds like, uh, you know, the, the, the best team won Donegal. No shame in being runner-up, as they say. As they say, boys, only one team can end its season on a win, right? Come on, mm. tough deal. And only one team is going to end, a, end the weekend on a win, Brian. Europe, Team Europe, our guys, against uh, our hated foes there from the USA. Listen. Did you say hated? Well, I say it now because I don't know if you heard about Phil Mickelson this week, but Phil was being asked these questions that I'm sure annoy all the US Ryder Cup players along the lines of, why is it that you guys are just big, ego-driven individualists and you're playing against this, you know, this, this team of communists, these, Euro- these Europeans just work together for the greater good here. And he said, yeah, well... Not only are we able to play together, we don't litigate against each other. And I think that's a real plus. In reference to McElroy and McDowell, who, well, they aren't litigating against each other, but they were involved in a court case recently. Incredible. That was a classic from Phil. And I actually mentioned it this morning on our radio show when it came out because it shows, uh, first of all, great line. You've got to give it up. Very good line from Phil. And it shows that Phil's feeling his oats, man. He's loose and he's happy. And, uh, and first of all, he's right. He's correct. There's no current litigation going on on Team USA. And why not spice it up a little bit, man? Especially coming right after the big boy, Rory and uh, Graham. These are your people now, by the way, Rory and Graham. They're turn- you guys have uh, internecine cannibalization going on in Ireland there, so you guys got to worry about that. But I thought it was funny, and I thought it was great, and I'm looking for. I'm looking for. You know what? Enough of the moaning, and I wrote about it in my Yahoo column all summer. Yeah, we're two touchdown underdogs, and oh, big Rory and, and Justin and, and all the big boys, Henrik and Keimer. You know what? 
bring it on. I like being an underdog in this situation. Boys, I'm going to throw a little concept to you. I think the pressure is on you. You have to defend your home turf. You guys have all the top-ranked players in the world. And guess what? The Americans, oh, we don't have a chance. Not a chance in the world. I like being in this position. Do I need to start? I mean, I do. it seems like every two years I go to these cards. Rocky, Kurt Russell, and Miracle. Uh, remember the Titans. Uh, come on. I could go on and on and on, guys. Well, we uh, do underdogs well. But no, seriously, of course, mass respect for uh, Europe's talent. But I think Tom Watson will, will keep this thing competitive, guys. Yeah, and um, well, I don't know about uh, Rocky, but uh, there was another American hero uh, mentioned by Oliver Brown, who's a sports writer at the Telegraph. He he wrote that uh, Ricky Fowler's GI Joe style crew cut is an exhibition of thuggish jingoism that could make the biennial event nasty. This is the Ryder Comfort. <laughs> oh, Oliver's got to take a powder, man. Oliver yeah. Brown needs to take a powder on that one. I mean, if you're going to go after any American. We've had our guys in the past. Paul Azinger would be guy number one in 1A as far as, like, you know, in-your-face guys. The guys wearing the, famously, of course, we bring it up every Ryder Cup, the guys wearing the camouflage at Ryder at the Kiowa Island, the war by the shore, all that ridiculousness. Excuse me, you're picking on the wrong guy. Ricky Fowler's probably the most likable guy on our entire darn team. You guys would love Ricky Fowler, and you do like Ricky Fowler. He's a nice kid who comes from a humble background. You know, one of the knocks on our American team for years and years has been the country club uh, Silver Spoon guys who are, you know, all Southern boys who seem to be sort of all homo, um, what's the word I'm looking for, homogenous, you know, kind of red, well, that's not the wrong, I want to say redneck, that's the wrong word, Uh, but just like these sort of homogenous Southern boys who come from country club backgrounds that I can see why Europeans would not like them. A guy like Bubba Watson, for example, is a guy he have a hard time uh, connecting to. Now, he's not a Silver Spoon guy. He came from sort of a more modest background, but he's a hard guy to connect to. He's, his success has brought with it a huge ego and a, and a, and a, and a, and a hard-to-warm-up-to on-curse personality. But Ricky Fowler, he's like everybody's puppy, man. He's our, everybody's friend. Ricky Fowler's like the nicest guy on the team, and him carving USA into his hair is just fun. And silly and Ricky Fowler-ish, and he's what, 25, 26 years old, a kid from Southern California. He used to ride dirt bikes before he taught himself how to play the game. So I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to throw the 15 yard unsportsmanlike conduct on Oliver <laughs> Brown, the, the muckraking Oliver Brown, trying to uh, stir something up. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with Ricky on this one, guys. Yeah, and I think Ricky Fowler, even what he's done there and you've touched on it but he's, he's probably captured the tone of the event pretty well because it's actually on the face of it a ridiculous sporting event it shouldn't really matter it's it, it's nothing to do with the actual sport uh, it couldn't be any different in terms of the ethos to what the sport usually represents so I mean, it's a kind of a bizarre and I say this in the nicest possible way I think it's brilliant because maybe it's such a ridiculous concept well, you're right, and it is, and I've wondered, I've wondered recently if the Ryder Cup has sort of outlived its time. Um, you know, there was a time when, you know, sports was taken off in the 20th century, and we were looking for competitions in this world of ours, and, and the U.S. golf team taking on the an England and Ireland golf team was, you know, was sort of a, uh, a logical thing, because England and Ireland, uh, or Great Britain and Ireland, you know, sort of founded the game, and and the U.S. was the rising power with Ben Hogan and Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus and all that. But I'm wondering now, the game has become so international, and the game has become so... I mean, honestly, honestly, I, I haven't checked, but I'm sure somebody has, how many of the European players have homes in America, right? A yeah. fair number, right? I know Rory does. I know Justin Rose does, right? Um, I, I could go on and on. I'm, I'm sure Henrik Stenson does, and, and I'm sure G-Mac Martin. has. Yeah. G-Mac, yeah. I mean, Graham McDowell has a darn restaurant in Orlando, doesn't G-Mac, he? we just call G-Mac G-Mac. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I mean. doesn't, doesn't get any more American than that. <laughs> I mean, exactly. So, I mean, it really has. And I love the event. It's fun because it's head-to-head, and the point system is different, and it's only every other two years. And Europe has done a tremendous job of making it fun and interesting by caring so much. That's what's really, that's what's really been great is that the passion of the European team has injected into this thing, you know, sort of a must-watch quality to it, and it's translated to a dominant stretch by European golf. Hats off, scoreboard all the way, Europe keeps winning. That comeback from two years ago in Chicago is still mind-blowing. I mean, I, unbelievable that the U.S. choked that thing away. But I wonder sometimes about it because it is—it has become such a blended world. Hell, I do weekly. 
it's such an international uh, world we live in. I'm doing weekly podcasts with some Irish radio show. I mean, what the <laughs> hell is that? I mean, that talk about cross pollination. We got Americans and Europeans hanging out weekly. So uh, we don't. Um, it, it's not what it used to be in the Sevy era. You know, the Sevy Azinger era, and it has a little bit outlived its usefulness, but. If we talk too much like that, then we won't have any fun this weekend. Yeah, exactly. I think maybe because of all everything that you've outlined, it's even more important to have tournaments like the Ryder Cup to just maintain something approaching. It's kind of the instead of everyone playing the same sport, the same sport in the same way all the time, all year long. That there's actually that the competition effectively it. it accentuates the difference, even though there may not be much of a difference yeah. there left anymore. And I think that's kind of cool. Brian, the, um, uh, Paul McGinley comes from a, very much a GA. Actually, can I ask you, first of all, you mentioned Tom Watson there. I, 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 is Paul McGinley even being talked about in any of the American oh, golf dispatches? You know what, I bet if you asked a hundred American golf fans who the European captain was, honestly, pff, probably ten of them could tell you it was Paul McGinley. He's definitely a low-profile guy, although I was... I'd covered the. I was at the Belfry when he made that putt. In fact, I was sitting greenside. I was I was back in my golf writing days for the San Francisco Chronicle, and so I know his role in uh, European Ryder Cup history. And of course, being a great Irishman uh, and a likable guy, I I'm familiar with Paul McGinley and I enjoy him. But boys, he does not. He has not registered stateside. Uh, the reason I wanted to mention him in the in the context of well, he's a European Ryder Cup captain. I don't have to justify why we're talking about Paul McGinley, but the, he's got a GA background, and there's a the GA teams love inspirational speeches. They're forever bringing in Roy Keane, Patrick Harrington, and these kind of figures to talk to their guys. And Alex Ferguson is the man he's gone for this time around. I know this is a it's not unique to Ireland or to the European Ryder Cup team because Kieran actually reminded me earlier today that George W. Bush. They went. They went right to the top there in America before '99. He he got them all jizzed up for uh, the the rather unsporting '99 event. He did, and, and at that time, no, to be noted, he was still governor of Texas then. He was not president of the United States, so we hadn't gone uh, to the top, top, top. By the way, if Obama walked into the room uh, now, I bet eleven of the guys would get up and leave. Uh, these guys are <laughs> twelve so Republicans. Yeah. They're all Republicans. I should probably say twelve, led by Tom Watson, who, by the way, is maybe the biggest conservative of them all. He's like. Tom Watson isn't just conservative politically. He wears it on his sleeve. Like, he criticizes. uh, In fact, I recall, I think in 93, when Bill Clinton invited the team over, I believe Watson had something to do with an objection of not wanting to go to the White House when Clinton was there. It was like, you got to be kidding me. That was very angering to me. I'm much more of a moderate politically, and I hate this whole uh, drawing sides, and I won't even step in the White House while uh, Bill Clinton or Barack Obama is in it, which is some of these golfers' takes. And mostly it's because of taxes. They just—they're all about the, you know, they're, you know, whatever. Twenty-five million isn't enough. They want fifty, and I get it. You want to get what's yours, but I also understand that you got to understand they're playing for Team USA. But yeah, George W. Bush spoke to the team in '99, famously, and uh, read the. <laughs> you guys remember he read the letter from the Alamo, didn't yeah, he? The, yeah, yeah. Uh, the I mean, Alamo, come man. on, man. He was really. But you know, I tell you what about G.W. Bush and uh, setting aside all politics, we've talked about this on our show a lot that we miss him. Because the guy's charisma was out the uh, out the wazoo. He really, as much even if you hated him, he had he has that sort of um, raised eyebrow, half grin kind of George W. Bush wackiness that you either love or you hate, but you have to register on it because he's got that that sense of humor. I think he's a pretty funny guy. Uh, he said a lot of stupid things too when he was president, which was fun to have. But he also said a lot of funny things when he was president too, which was fun to have. So I can imagine him in the room registering with these guys: Southern guy, Texas guy, uh, you know, uh, country club guy, golf guy. And I believe, guys, you know the story, right? His, I mean, he has a direct family tie to the to the Ryder Cup or the Walker. His grandfather, uh, Walker, grandfather Walker, I think, on his father's mother's side. Uh, is was one of the most prominent founders of the uh, the USGA in the early 1900s. Had a lot to do. They call it the Walker Cup, the Amateur Cup between the yeah. the US and um, Ireland and England. Is is named after George W. Bush's grandfather. So wow. I mean, so he's directly tied to this kind of stuff. So that was a no brainer. I don't know what Watson's going to do. I don't know how much it's going to affect these guys. You know, obviously no Tiger Woods. That's good. You know, and guess you guys know the stat, right? Last time the US won the Ryder Cup. No Tiger Woods, and that was back in 2008 when I found Woods to be a somewhat divisive influence on the Ryder Cup team. You could just feel how little he cared, 
And in fact, in '04 at Oakland Hills in Detroit, I remember we remember asking him, saying, kind of, we were just trying to badger him and badger him, saying, Tiger, why don't you just admit that you don't care about the Ryder Cup? Or do you, you know? And, and he finally snapped and said, Hey, uh, guys, how many majors has Jack Nicholas won? And like, you know, Lemmings, we all said uh, 18. And he said, And what was his Ryder Cup record? And everybody's like, uh, I don't know. He's like, Oh, oh. There you go. That's my point. And so it was like he basically told he told us flat out, I don't care. I don't care about this stuff. So him not being in the room to me is a plus. Uh, you know, Keegan Bradley and Phil Mickelson figure to be the heartbeat of the team. I've been reading stuff about Patrick Reed maybe being a divisive influence because he's so cocky, nobody likes him, <laughs> and he's not playing well. There's some sketchiness on, on the uh, captain's picks. Uh, Webb Simpson and Hunter Mahan aren't exactly electric, charismatic guys. They're not exactly guys you can rally around. We had a guy named Billy Horschel, who's a super charismatic guy. He'd be like an Ian Poulter type for us, and he won the FedEx Cup uh, two weeks ago in $10 million. But Watson didn't take him because Horschel got hot after the picks. So, so there's some, some question marks surrounding our team. Uh, but also I kind of like, like I said, I like the underdog status. And I like the fact that they really don't give a fig, and I like the fact that Phil Mickelson's teasing you guys for suing each other. Those, <laughs> those motivational speeches, Brian, are quite interesting because um, the Battle of the Alamo style stuff is just hilarious. It, it is golf. You would think that maybe the aim is to go out and not be fired up and not be too emotional and be quite cold about the whole thing. But fire in the belly, ice in the veins. That's what it's all about. Well, yeah, that's what, yeah, I would have thought that's what, that's what physical sports are about, but... Uh, no, it's a true story because baseball is, is that sort of the equivalent. Baseball is being such a popular sport here in America, but it's not an adrenaline game. You can't. It has to be. You have to play the game with a steely kind of calm focus. Obviously, a dr- basketball and football would be two adrenaline games. You know, you could clearly in basketball you can just dive around the court and steal a ball and you know run a fast break and play crazy good defense when you're hyped out of your mind. Basketball is a great energy game. Football to a large degree too, but football you also have to control yourself. You can't commit penalties. You have to line up on the line of scrimmage, you know, and you have to kind of freeze in between plays. So different adrenaline sports, but you're right about golf. I mean, you can give all the speeches you want, and Sir Alex can talk about winning the treble in what '99. Was yep, that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can he can break out the footage of winning the treble in '99, but. You know, when, when uh, I don't know, Martin Keimer standing over a 12-foot left-to-right breaker, I don't know how much role that's going to play in the whole deal. <laughs> Brian, uh, I, I'm going to get a prediction off you, but just before that, I want to mark your card. We, we always like to mark each other's cards and things here. We're going to be talking to uh, a guy called Patrick Murray on the show. He's the field goal. He's a kicker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as of this season. He's uh, played the first three games. And the reason I mention this to you is I think you'll like this guy's story. His dad is from Monaghan. His uncle was the captain of the Monaghan team that won the Ulster Championship back in 1985. And he grew up coming over every summer and playing a bit of Gaelic football uh, in Ireland. This guy's just just horsed his way onto a team over there, onto the Buccaneers. And they've lost all three games, I think, so far. So that's not, that's not great, but... Uh, it's an interview you might be interested in, I'd say. I had not known that. You are breaking some news for me. So, yeah, I'm looking the guy up right now. He played at Fordham University, which is not a college football power by the longest of stretches. In fact, I didn't even know Fordham had a team. Fordham's a, a college in New York City. It, they were famous way back in the 1930s because Vince Lombardi went to Fordham, mm-hmm. and that was way back when New York City would actually played college football. But I'm shocked they still have a team in this day and age. Five foot seven. He's a midget. Yeah, he's a small yeah, I say guy. that with great, res- with great respect. But uh, oh, and he played at Don Bosco, which is, I think a prep high school, which is a big. I think that's a big high school power in New Jersey. Oh, that's really interesting. You know, uh, you guys know. I don't have to break news to you. The Irish influence on American football is minimal, my friends. Mm. Minimal. Uh, most of your athletes are coming from the Southeastern Conference: Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Florida. LSU. That's not a lot of not a lot of athletes coming from Ireland to go play college football down there. Uh, you know, <laughs> so so this is a, an unusual. I guess the closest thing you guys had prior to this was the great Joey Harrington, yep, the quarterback who yep. were the Oregon Ducks, who wound up not having a great NFL career, whose cousin was Patrick Harrington. He was he was the big connection. But yeah, that's great. Well, I'll keep an eye out for the kid. And uh, yeah, the Bucks they were kind of a trendy pick because uh, Lovey Smith took over the team. And he was a successful coach with the Chicago Bears. A lot of people thought he got a raw deal when he was fired in Chicago. So people considered him a quality coach. And so they were kind of, they thought to have a good core of players that just needed to be coached correctly. Their previous coach, Greg Schiano, was, a, was the, the nightmare guy from Rutgers who tried to use all those 
college tactics. Remember, he instead of kneeling down, letting the Giants kneel down, he, he remember he fired the, his lineman into the line when when the New York Giants were kneeling down, and it was considered a real bush league move. So they finally got rid of him and brought in Lovey Smith, but it has not worked so far. Maybe uh, maybe Patrick Murray needs to uh, you know boot a few field goals and get the Bucks going. But <laughs> yeah. that is cool. That's neat. You can keep an eye on Patrick Murray, Brian. And just lastly, I'm not going to ask you who you think will win the Ryder Cup because you're going to have to go for the USA. I mean, we're all, we're all being jingoistic this weekend. But I will ask you who is going to win it for Team USA. Well, that's a great question. You know, here's the funny thing is um, I'm I'm, I'm going to have to think about this while I get USA carved into my hair, uh, which is my plan. <laughs> To join my man Ricky Fowler, and in fact, why don't we just go ahead and say it? The kid with the carved hair, the thuggish jingoist himself, <laughs> Ricky Fowler, will win the key Sunday singles point. And I'm only half joking, guys, because he is a really good Ryder Cup player. If you recall, I believe four years ago he had a wonderful Sunday singles run, a dramatic run to win a key point for the U.S. He's a fiery kid. He's fearless. He's playing great. He's got the hair. Ricky Fowler with the key point. USA wins, guys. Enjoy it, Brian. Thank you. All the best, boys. Ah, well, Ricky Fowler is going to do the business for Team USA, according to Brian there, Ken. They... They haven't drafted George Bush in this time around mm. um, to read out the uh, the address from the Alamo, which was maybe a strange choice for ninety nine. Um, a little strange. Uh, have you ever have you ever heard the letter in question? No. Have you got some? Do you want to hear it? Oh yeah. Yeah, go on then. Uh, it's addressed to the people of Texas and all Americans in the world. <laughs> uh, you going to do it in the George W. Bush? You gonna impress anyone? I don't or? think I don't think I should do that. Don't think that's a, that's probably. I'll be who would have been in the team. I'll be David Duval. Murph can be uh, Justin Ken, Leonard, Kenny Perry, <laughs> Kenny Perry. <laughs> no, I don't think he played that year. Yeah, Justin Leonard. Yeah, that late. Fellow citizens and compatriots, and this is remember is written by William B. Travis, who was in the Alamo at the time, February twenty fourth, eighteen thirty six. I am besieged by a thousand or more of the Mexicans under Santa Ana. I have sustained a continual bombardment and cannonade for 24 hours and have not lost a man. The enemy has demanded a surrender at discretion. Otherwise, the garrison are to be put to the sword if the fort is taken. I have answered the demand with a cannon shot and our flag still waves proudly from the walls. I shall never surrender or retreat. I call on you in the name of liberty, of patriotism and everything dear to the American character to come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or four thousand in four or five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honour and that of his country. Victory or death. William Barry Travis, Lieutenant Colonel Commandant. P.S. The Lord is on our side. When the enemy appeared inside, we had not three bushels of corn. We have since found in deserted houses 80 or 90 bushels and got into the walls 20 or 30 head of beeves. Travis. <laughs> he, he was dead 12 or 13 days later. Yeah. It's a lot like being four points down going into the singles of a Ryder Cup, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I have answered that the, the demand with a cannon shot. Mickelson could be the man who's delivered that cannon shot this time around. Who knows? Who knows? A verbal shot across the bows of the, the Europeans. Yeah, a great... Um, it happened in the Second World War as well. I think an American commander during the Battle of the Bulge uh, was asked to surrender and replied, nuts. Well, they brought in... <laughs> but, but on that occasion, uh, he lived to tell the tale. So it was probably even, even a bit better. He's probably, probably right not to surrender then. Tom know? Watson yeah, brought he in... Vastly surrounded by vast superior forces on all sides, you know. Tom Watson brought in... Um, injured servicemen to talk to the team this time around so the, the military link there um, stays just to wrap up on McDowell McElroy I think they were in, whatever about how much they might have fallen out and how they're getting on now I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'll be fine they're certainly doing playing it quite well publicly but in terms of how they actually play with each other uh, GMAX quotes Gray McDowell's quotes were pretty interesting lately he said he's the world number one player this is Rory McIlroy he's a four time major champion the dynamic between him and I has changed forever he would now be the leader of the two of us and perhaps the dynamic doesn't work as well as it did in the past I'm the kind of guy that needs a leadership role a little bit at Medina a couple of years ago and this is interesting Rory and I spoke about this I found the better ball format very difficult with him because he likes to go first I let him at it and I come second. You know, he's standing there beating it 350 yards down the middle, and I put my tee in the ground thinking, there's not really a lot of point in me hitting this tee shot. I find myself... Should really start pulling the pace completely yeah. G-back play with uh, Rory. Just like hit it b- back the other way, just for, yeah, who cares? Rory's got this. He says foursomes is different. He, think they, he thinks they could still play foursomes really well together, so that might be the case when the team is named a little bit later, or the first, uh, the first set of... Uh, 
first set of matches are released a little bit later on. We're playing this out on a Thursday. I think it's this evening. That yep, uh, around quarter to five tonight. Okay. Well, it might uh, well be, be out there already by the time you're listening to this one. Now, all Ireland hurting fine replay chat still to come. But right now, we are, I'm delighted to say, joined by the Tampa Bay's Buccaneers kicker, Patrick Murray. Patrick, you're our first ever active NFL player on the program. So we really appreciate it. Thanks very much, first of all, for chatting to us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much for having me on. I've been outlining a bit about your background, but maybe it's better coming from your mouth because I know your family is, um, well, you're, you're very much an Irishman and your family is really steeped in GAA background in particular. Yeah, yeah. The Murrays are pretty well known up in Monaghan and especially Kieran Murray, obviously being the physio for the Irish soccer team now. Um, yeah, I grew up kicking on St. Tiernock's pitch there every summer. Uh, Dad emigrated and met my mother. Uh, she's American, and we've been living in America our whole lives, um, but we spent pretty much every summer over in Monaghan. And now the family's kind of spread out a bit. Some are in Meath, and uh, the others are in Louth, and we've got family in Fermanagh as well. Um, but, yeah, we're very, very deep in our Irish heritage, that's for sure. So when you were coming home and kicking freeze around uh, St. Tiernock's Park there, were you envisaging yourself playing for Monaghan or playing in the NFL? <laughs> oh, definitely playing for Monaghan. Uh, I always thought that uh, I'd replace Paul Finley as the free taker, but uh, now I'm kicking freeze over in America, I guess you could say. And was it the uh, uh, an oval ball or a round ball that you were um, that you were kicking in St. Chernick's Park as a, as a matter of interest? Oh, it was always a round ball. It was oh, always okay. a Gaelic ball in my hand. There was uh, the football only came. Uh, the American football only came into my hands in high school. Um, but even so, I'd warm up and I. would I warm up with a Gaelic football. I train with a Gaelic football. I bring a Gaelic football to training, um, but I can't do that here. Uh, so I yeah. have to stick with the American football now. I saw in one of the articles I read about you, Patrick, that you you cited Ron O'Gara as an inspiration in terms of your kicking. Uh, could you tell us a bit about that? Is that is that a technique thing, or is it O'Gara's mentality that you you've been impressed by? It's. The way Ronan O'Gara approaches the kick, his technique, it's everything. You know, he's obviously the greatest taker, free taker, in my opinion, ever to play the game of rugby. Um, so when I first started kicking uh, an American football, it's obviously different than kicking a Gaelic ball or kicking a soccer ball. My dad would pull up these videos of Ronan O'Gara and he would have me watch them, just watching the way he approached the ball, watching the way he followed through the ball, the way he struck the ball. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And then throughout high school and throughout college, if I was ever having trouble with anything, you know, I'd pull up a video of Ronan O'Gara, see how he does it and correct it from there. He's an interesting guy to use as a touchstone because I think what everybody says about O'Gara, who's played with him, and he'll say it himself, the guy just has this uh, incredible mentality. Even if he's playing badly or kicking badly, you wouldn't know it. He'll kick the next one or he'll make the next vital play. Is that something that you that you have as well? Because the position that you play is such a strange one, particularly for Irish sports fans to try to get their heads around that you're standing on the sideline for large tracks of the game, then you have to come on for a few seconds and possibly win or lose the game for your team. Yeah, at least Ronan gets a little runaround before he goes and kicks the ball. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, it is difficult for a lot of people to wrap their heads around it. Me just standing there and then, like you say, having to come on and win or lose, you know, preferably win, obviously, but... Yeah, you have to have that mentality in my position, and that's another thing that I took from Ronan. He approached the same ball, or he approached the ball the same way every single time he took a kick. Nothing was different, did the same technique, followed through the same way, and that's the mentality that I have. You have to block everything else out and just focus on your job and, you know, obviously do it pretty well, and that's why he is who he is, and that's why he's an idol to me when it comes to kicking and mentally and just as a sports personality in general. What about the large tracks of time? I mentioned that you're you're not actually kicking, that you're on the sideline and waiting for your next involvement. Are there? Do you, do you need to stay focused on what's happening out in the game? Do you need to just, just stay in your own zone? Is there any are there any techniques for that? Um, for me, it's just staying in the game and being involved in the game. So from one to four thirty, you know, our games usually take three and a half hours. You know, I'm either watching the game if I'm not kicking or as soon as we get the ball back, I'm going into the net and I'm knocking a few balls in. I'll solo the ball up and down the field to myself and just kind of always have something going on, not really trying to sit around too much because then you get stiff and you get bored. Um, but, yeah, just trying to stay in as much as possible. But the soloing, I think, helps me the most. Hold on. you actually solo an American football along the sideline to keep tuned in during an NFL game? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if the camera ever will pan over the sideline, but... 
when the defense is on the field and we don't have the ball, yeah, I'll be soloing in American football, just <laughs> solo and just keep myself into it, you know? This is something we have to get in touch with the uh, the TV directors over there and just ask them to grab a shot of this at some stage. Sure. Your path to the NFL is really interesting, Patrick, in that you had a, a stellar college career and you led the NCAA in your final season in terms of field, goal, field, goal, field goals kicked. Um, but from there, I'm right in saying you didn't get, initially didn't actually get any offers to join or to train with an NFL team. Uh, right after college, I was with the Chicago Bears and rookie minicamp. It's a three-day minicamp where they invite you to come in and have a tryout. Um, the Bears had a Pro Bowl kicker on their roster that was just coming off injury, uh, so they didn't keep me. And then for the last season, I've been doing workouts with different teams. Teams will bring you in on a Tuesday and work you out. They'll put you through different drills. And for me, obviously, that's kicking field goals and kicking off and punting. And then, fortunately enough for me, I did enough to get signed in January here and went through off-season training work with the Buccaneers and then just finished up training camp and you know, did enough and won the job. Uh, is the fact that it, you weren't hired straight away, straight out of college, is that maybe kind of a worry that will really drive you on now that you have made it onto an NFL roster, uh, that, you, that you have that, that drive within you to just make sure that it, that it keeps going from here? Yeah, I've had that mentality since uh, high school or secondary school. Uh, a bunch of coaches told me that I was too small, that I'd never play in college, uh, that I should give up and just go be a normal student. So I play with a bit of a chip on my shoulder, and that's definitely not going to change. The, uh, being told you're too small is funny in the, the position that you're in. We only think about, I guess, the kicking element of it. Is, that, is there more an emphasis on being an athlete now than there would have been previously as a, as a kicker? Oh, yeah, there's, you have to be an athlete to play in this league. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, you know as well as I do, we can take some pretty good shots in Gaelic <laughs> football. So I'm, I have no problem going in and making a tackle. There was a great quote, Patrick, from your coach, uh, Lovie Smith, who said that after you'd signed and you were on a futures contract initially, which is really just a short-term commitment from, uh, from the club to decide whether or not they like the look of you. So you come in anyway and you say to him, listen, uh, he, what he says is, Patrick wanted to know early on, if I'm the best guy, will I be the kicker here? Point blank, he asked me that. And I said, yes, you will. That sounds like a pretty ballsy conversation to have with the head coach early on. Yeah, you could definitely say that, but look, I'm a pretty cut and dry guy. I know that I'm here to win a job, and if I want to make this my career, I better know that if I am the best guy, that I will get the job. So I didn't really have anything to lose. I was coming in competing against a veteran. I knew I was going to come in every day and do the best that I could, and just to know that if I went out there and beat him, which I did, that I would be the guy that they picked. Once you heard that, then once he gave you that reassurance, you you then could use that. You ju- just needed to know that it was actually going to happen for you, that there, there, were, there were no, I don't know, underlying politics or anything like that that could keep you out of there. Right, exactly. Yeah. There was nothing underlying. He's a very, very fair man. He's a cut-and-dry guy. He wants the best players on his team to help this team win football games, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Patrick, it's great that you're you're going well there. The team, unfortunately, made a bad start to the season. You're away to the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday. Are you going to turn it around? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, there's stuff going on in this building. There's a great vibe here, and I can't wait to get there on Sunday and play Pittsburgh. Most importantly, though, will the Monaghan footballers be back as Ulster kingpins next year? Sam 2015, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Patrick Murray, we'll leave it there and best of luck with the rest of the season. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Megan. All, right. all right, good luck, lads. Thanks very much. Ah, lovely stuff. I think we can all agree that uh, the next time the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are on TV, Murph, we'll be looking out for Patrick Murray there. Mm. And, and watching the highlights. Go. Absolutely, More yeah. than a point to see if he's soloing uh, American football up and down. Uh, that is absolutely amazing. I had to double check that with him to make sure that, that is, I was hearing him correctly. The thing about the... TV coverage of, uh, of NFL games is they rarely focus on a kicker practicing away until it gets to say a minute out from the end and there's a drive one team is on a drive that may result in a kick that will win mm. them the game or not and at that stage usually they actually do and it's often very boring footage because the kicker is just kicking a ball into a net it would mm. be quite nice if Patrick Murray's just soldering the ball up and down what an accent as well very uh, mid-Atlantic yeah well but yeah, I, know, I know people who've spent a lot more time in Ireland and sound a lot less Irish than Patrick Murray. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, that must be some Monaghan accent or Northern Irish, Northern Irish accent on his dad. I mean, that's totally unintelligible, uh, sort of mid-Ulster-style burr on your man. But uh, no, listen, I mean, 
it just makes it all the easier for us to like him really doesn't it best of luck to Patrick for the rest of the season as yeah, I said to him we will now tell you what's coming up in the Irish Times second captain's football podcast that's yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really yeah, you can laugh I was the World Cup I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I want to be like me what are you doing down here, you shawny man? What's that? What's that? That's the uh, sound of a bus parking. It's the sound of Andy Townsend's tactics truck <laughs> reversing into position. <laughs> Reversing into position for a broadcast of ITV's The Premiership uh, 10, 15 years ago, whenever, yeah. it was, whenever it was on. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Didn't take off, did it? The no. tactic stroke was a bit of a train wreck. Every, it, really it, was, it was just mass rejection by the audience yeah. of this idea. It Why? Was, yeah. But you know, it's nearly become like a byword for, you know, that thing on a TV show that really doesn't work. You know, it's like, you know, the tactic stroke. Yeah. Well, look. Maybe the problem was that the tactic stroke was too far ahead of its time. Yeah, okay. You know, like, uh, sometimes you can have a great idea, which just comes on at the wrong time. You know? Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about why maybe... I'm not saying bring it back. I don't know if anyone's prepared to, well, to I thought go we just that heard far. It. I thought we just heard it reversing into position. Yeah. Um, well, look, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about why... About uh, the, the growth own of... Tactical uh, journalism in football and why it seems to be something which has happened over the last few years, why it didn't happen before, and you know, some of the plus and minus points of that. Sounds good. There's a lot going on this weekend. There are the couple of big derby games I mentioned there, the Ryder Cup. Also, the matter of deciding this year's All Ireland Hurling Champions, Saturday, 5 pm, is the throw in time at Croke Park. Kilkenny versus Tip in the replayed final. Morris O'Brien and Michael Kavanagh are with us in studio. Lads, you look pretty excited. Thanks for making it in. No yeah, problem. No problem on. I want to remind you both of a Brian Cody quote from immediately after the last game. Michael, he said, <laughs> when everyone else is getting caught up in it, he was in the excitement of the possibly the best game I heard we've all seen. I have no real phenomenal feelings, said Cody. Obviously, you want to win. You don't want to lose. So we neither won nor we lost. So I'm just as I am, to be honest. Uh, would you imagine he has carried that attitude into the last few weeks? Yeah, look, it's a strange place to be after an all Ireland final when you, you don't have a result, a result. But I suppose Kenny been down this road before two years ago. Um, but it's like after that final, I suppose you're, you're planning so much. The one thing you don't plan for is a draw. So it's kind of back to the drawing board. But I, look, I've been reading those quotes from Brian as well. I know the lads will be damn glad to get an opportunity to train for another couple of weeks. Uh, there's nothing, there's nothing, I suppose, worse than maybe losing all Ireland final. And it would have been tough for any team to lose in the manner uh, after such a terrific uh, final the last day. So, so Brian and the, the, the lads, and I'm sure tip the same, would have been delighted to get another few weeks training and another crack at it again. Would they have had the chance to let their hair down at all? Because we, we know the tip stayed up that night, the players went to their banquet or whatever it is, and the, the Kilkenny lads were brought straight back down in the bus, apparently to do a bit of or and or at Nolan Park late into the night. Would they have had a chance to take their mind off the game? Um, they wouldn't have. Uh, Kilkenny uh, did return to... Um, they went out to City West for the, the meal after the after the, the drawn game and okay. returned to Kilkenny that night, all right, and I think they met up the next day in Nolan Park next evening for the recovery session. Okay, but so it wasn't actually that night. It wasn't the, that night. The, the, way, no, the way, but, way I read it, I thought they were in ice baths at two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I looked, there was club games to be played as well. Okay. Kenny, uh, there was a round of intermediate club games as well the following week for club players. So the players kind of were supposed to allow back out to the clubs that week, anyone that was involved in intermediate. And uh, look, it would have taken a lot of recovery, a lot of time to recovery, both mentally and physically from uh, from a big game like that. Uh, the huge kind of, huge preparation, huge build, huge build up goes into it. And um, certainly it would have taken a good few days for them to come down. So the first week would have been all about recovery and kind of rest. And they would have got a bit of work done, a bit of planning done the second week. And it would have Tapered off preparations this week again. Yeah, Morris. I mean, it's probably impossible to maintain that level of focus. I mean, the the quote that that uh, that Owen read out there from Cody would kind of suggest that you know the build up to the replay started, you know, at like ten past five that day. But in reality, you can't actually do that. You can't uh, reach sort of fever pitch for an Iron Final and then maintain that over the course of three weeks and try and take that into a replay it just wouldn't work No from players point of view I wouldn't think it would work they have to you know you'd have to wind down you'd have to take a couple of days just take your mind off and relax from a management point of view 
you probably straight away you have to be straight on the ball again and, and thinking about the next day. But I think the players would would definitely have taken a couple of days to unwind. As Michael says, there a couple of guys were released for club duty as well, you know, which completely like it's a it's a funny situation. Maybe Kilkenny's the only county you'd see something like that, you know, which which is strange for me here. And you know, you wouldn't really see that in Dublin, like players released for for club action after that. So definitely to take a couple of days to unwind wouldn't have done really a whole pile that week and, and back into it the following week. So without a doubt, whereas Cody's mind frame would be completely different. He'd be like fresh in his mind straight away the game. He'd be straight away thinking, where can I get the advantage for the next day? So he'd he'd been straight away tuned in. You're a rarity, Morrison, that you're part of a team that actually beat Brian Cody's Kilkenny in a replay of the dubs last year. What, how did Anthony, it's different, it's not the long three-week gap, but what did Anthony Daly do, do you think? Yeah, it was it was just a six or six day turnaround, you know, and it was a it was a funny situation really because we didn't as a team we didn't know, you know, where where we we'd always we'd beaten Kilkenny in the league final and we'd always kind of pitted ourselves that yeah we can beat them, you know, and we we can take them on, but championship is different and we didn't know until that day down in Tullamore or down in. Uh, Port Leash that we could match Kilkenny and we could conceivably beat them in a championship match and, and that day the drawn match kind of brought it home to us that god yeah we're, we're bang here we can actually we can compete with these guys we can beat these guys and I suppose after the draw in the dressing room it was kind of it felt like a, a winning dressing room for about five minutes until Daly kind of spoke and is like straight away he brought everything back down to earth and it's like do you want to be the team that drew against Kilkenny and, and ultimately went on and lost your chance and lost it and or do you want to be a team that goes and beat him? And straight away he set the tone five minutes after that match, you know. And I suppose it's different because it was only six days to turn around. It's interesting, though, that that gave you the, the confidence because uh, a lot of what's being said now is that Kilkenny are the team with more room for improvement. I think most people would accept that that's the case. There's a few more guys there who, who could reach a higher level. Um, but at the same time, Tipperary now know that, look, we, we, we actually have reached that level now. We've played as well, almost as well as we can. And maybe that will give them a certain confidence. Yeah, no, there's no doubt it will. I think uh, Tip will create great confidence from from the last day, but also I think from the league final, they really went toe to toe with Kilkenny and, and really pushed them. I think maybe the league final would have given these Tip guys that bit of confidence as well to, to say that this Kilkenny team or not the Kilkenny team of old are not as invincible. Let's go at them. But you, to do that, you need to be fully confident. You fully have you fully conviction in, in in your play, and you really need to go at Kilkenny and have that bit of belief and, and confidence in your all round game. Tip showed that the last day. If they can bring that to the table again, they're going to take some stopping. But Tip had all the big performers the last day five of their attack were super picking off four or five points from play will they get that kind of space and be as accurate the next day I think there's overall there's probably greater room for improvement in the Kilkenny side a lot of the lads I think had below par performances how, how they hung in there and were leading with 10 minutes to go is, is credit to them and they could have closed out the game at that stage but great credit to Tip to come back and close out the game but look I suppose Tip hit the heights as regards performance wise but they will have the confidence uh, and, and the belief I suppose from going toe to toe with Kilkenny both the league final in the league final last year as well the, the gap is closed with them uh, and I suppose it's just that bit of belief if they can bring that Sunday Saturday evening they're going to be very hard to beat Yeah it's just I, I can't help making the comparison between 2012 where Gola had, had hammered Kilkenny in the, the Leinster final like had played out of their skin in the, the the fear going into the drone game was that oh you know they're going to get payback for the Leinster final once Gola had drawn with Kilkenny that time then uh, you know I felt, you know, as a goalless supporter, right, well, we're at the level now, you know, we we don't have anything to prove, you know, we can just go out there and hurl Kilkenny on their merits in the replay and, and beat them, you know, that we've shown that we've beaten them and obviously, you know, the, I got my uh, payback there. You were bullish, Murphy. Yeah, I was actually, I remember the, the full week before that game, I was actually bullish uh, and, uh, yeah, got taught a lesson. So, I mean, I think that, the, I, I think even Kilkenny might have slipped even a small bit from 2012, but, you know, you still have to beat them, you know, and like in, that's credit to Daly that Dublin did actually manage to beat them last year. But Tipperary still have to reach that level of manic aggression, I think, that they got in the league final and again the last day. And that's still no guarantee they're actually going to win the game on Saturday. No, they need to. Tis no guarantees. You need a lot of things to go right to beat Kilkenny. You, you need to, to go toe to toe with them. You need to bring that kind of manic aggression uh, to the field. But you need that kind of bit of desire, uh, the confidence in your play, and the conviction uh, yeah. to pull it off. You need to be totally buying into your game plan. You know, you need to be kind of worrying about yourselves and, and be on top of your game and really take Kilkenny on. Uh, you need a lot of things to go right to beat this Kilkenny team. Yeah. There might be the Kilkenny team of old, but there's, there's, there's still a formidable outfit, and you know they still got great strength, strength and depth and all over the place and great experience there as well. 
and blend it in and some of the younger players are really stepping up to the plate look it's, it's going to be a fascinating final and again um, I'm not sure it will be the shootout we got the last day I'd expect defences to be a bit tighter to, to close down maybe to close down the space that, that was kind of given the last day even if I expect a bit more physicality I suppose maybe from um, from the Kilkenny defence uh, I suppose they'll be looking to get maybe a bit closer to, to tipper tackers it'll be interesting to see the line outs uh, what teams the boat managers kind of go with I don't expect too much change with Tipperary but it'll be interesting to see what will bring Cody lines out and what way he, he sets up his defence whether he kind of goes man to man or if he kind of sticks with, uh, with, with the shape and, and, and holding the shape in his defence well, We're going to get you to name the team for us uh, in a, in a, in a <laughs> couple of minutes I'll go with the Tipperary team and Morris can, uh, pick the team. Yeah, Morris just before we get to that the the, point, the reference or the comparison that Kieran makes with Galway is, is fair enough and that that was quite recent only a couple of years ago but is it arguable that maybe Tip have more to bring than Galway did that, that, to that replay in terms of pace and movement, the things that really seem to bother Kilkenny? Yeah, no, without a doubt. Well, Galway do have that as well, but t- Tip have proven it. Tip, like these guys have all Ireland medals, you know. They're, they know, like they've stood toe to toe with Kilkenny more than any team. Now, ultimately, they've come out in the losing side of that more often than not, but they've stood toe to toe with Kilkenny more than anybody over the last five or six years. So they know that if they do bring that manic aggression, which is Look, that's that's the minimum. If you don't bring that, you're, you're wasting your time playing Kilkenny. You know, you have to bring that aggression. And what Tip have is the like the pace. They have really high scoring forwards, and and you need them all to click again, which they clicked the last day. Like, is it conceivable that you could expect them all to click again on Saturday? It's it's a big ask of them. You know, it's a big ask of like five of their forwards are outstanding, as Michael said there. A big ask if them guys can perform that once again. Whereas you're you're looking at Galway two years ago they didn't perform the second day now, and that's ultimately why they didn't win it so Tip have to perform at the very same level again the next day where you even say it was outstanding performance they have to do it again Yeah, maybe get a few more goals even and ward Kilkenny off that way but the Kilkenny team Michael, is it time for Brian Cody to stop messing around here and bring in Tommy Walsh and Henry Shefflin? Yeah, look, I suppose a lot of debate in Kilkenny this week about the team and since the since the drawn game. But look, in fairness to Brian Cody, he, he's managed to tweak the team all year. It hasn't been the same team that's gone out twice, the two days in a row in Kilkenny, whether it was the Welsh Cup, uh, the National League, uh, the league. And so far, Brian has been successful in everything in, in all campaigns, in, in the, picking up the Welsh Cup, picking up the league, picking up the National League. So who's to argue with Brian and his second team this year? He's obviously made the changes, made the tweaks. Um, if he makes the right changes on Saturday night and we win, we'll be all very happy. Obviously, look, to be a few people crying. I suppose if he doesn't and we don't get over the line but look there's a few major uh, selection issues problems there and I suppose um, headaches for Brian Cody this week and uh, look Brian is probably to know what's going on inside the camp what kind of form uh, lads are showing in training uh, and who's really stepping up and Brian made a huge call uh, two years ago uh, plumping for Walter Welsh uh, in his debut in an All-Ireland final and that and that really came off um, so look he, he'll pick it on form obviously Walter was picked that day on form in training he was, he was doing the right things leading up to the final and up to the replay and um, we're not privy to know what's what's going on inside the Kilkenny camp and trend at the moment behind closed doors but obviously there's, uh, there's good reports and a lot of rumours coming up, coming back so the team will be announced tonight I expect Brian Cody doesn't usually go with the dummy team whatever team he names he'll probably will probably will we'll probably line out what, are the, what are the key rumours I mentioned Tommy Walsh because I heard he was one of them is Henry Shefflin yeah, a lot of lot of, t- lot of talk about uh, Henry Shefflin and, and uh, Tommy Welch. Look, obviously very popular figures, both in Kilkenny and all over the country. Obviously, everyone, uh, any hurling followers would love to see maybe on the park involved. Um, they're such... Um, they've been the mainstay of this Kilkenny team for the last uh, 10, 15 years. Um, whether um, Tommy, all reports, I think, is trending in the forwards. Like, um, so if right. he's going to start, it'll probably be somewhere along the half-hour line. Henry reports will be trending well uh, over the last number of weeks. Um, whether he's up to the pace or not, the thing about Henry, I think Brian has used him very sparingly to date uh, in all the games 15-20 minutes um, why he wouldn't start him maybe the first day maybe is why he mightn't start him again t- t- in the replay you know so which is just uh, that he might not be fully up to the pace for 70 minutes yeah well obviously look Brian has always been on record as saying that there is 70 minutes and he's fully fit um, he hasn't gone with him select him for the semi-final or the final obviously he's using him in a different role this year and he's used him that way all year um, but look there's a lot of names been popping up down there Kieran Joyce has been talked about maybe for uh, a late call up maybe in, in the defence Parik Welch has been called up he's been talked about in defence as well and also don't be surprised if you see someone like John Power or Aidan Ford to maybe line out right okay that's a lot of names a lot of rumours um, uh, I think I covered all the panel there so. <laughs> Yeah. Everybody's got a shot, all right. Yeah, Morris, the uh, well, the Shefflin one is interesting. I mean, 
it would seem a bit strange to use him for four minutes in one game and then a couple of weeks later to use him for to start him from from the very start. But I mean, he is probably the greatest player that's ever played at the same time. What do you think on that one? Any other year it would be strange. But remember, Walter Walsh didn't play any part in the semi-final. He started the final the last day. I, I fully, well, I don't know how right or wrong it is, but I, I'd fully think that they should start Henry Shefflin the next day. Now, maybe you won't get 70 minutes out of him, but 50 minutes of Henry Shefflin is a lot better than four or five minutes the last day. You know, he may not be the 100%, 100% of the Henry Shefflin we know, but if he doesn't have something to offer an All-Ireland final day for 50 minutes, there's something seriously wrong, you know. I, I think... Like he is a, a, definitely a guy that, like two years ago, he's the guy that pulled him through in, in the replay or the first game. You know, I think a guy of his experience facing into, it, I think he has to start the next day. It almost seemed when he came in with four minutes to go last time, there was so much else going on in that game that there mightn't have been the desired effect in terms of this momentous moment when the the crowd gets behind Kilkenny and all that side of it. So is that is that part overrated yeah. that you bring on your talisman and the crowd goes crazy and the rest of the team are mm-hmm. lifted? Probably be a little bit overrated, you know. It's very hard to do anything in four minutes, you know. And plus, it's such a high intensity game that it's very hard for anyone to come off the bench and make an impact in that kind of a game. It was so high intense. Like maybe if you were in there for twenty minutes, you could you could conceivably play your way into the game. But for four or five minutes, it's it's impossible really for and like no no really subs came on the last day and did anything of real significance. Jason Ford got one ball and put it over the bar. Outside of that, guys didn't really have that much of an impact off the bench. It was that yeah, type of a game. Yeah, you're kind of thinking of just the pace of it. Yeah, uh, and there were there, there were no early subs either. Really, Michael Cahill, I think, was the first. Michael was the, Cahill was the um, first early one. Really, Aidan Forty came Aiden on. Forty got about twenty minutes, and Aidan yeah. Forty all reports was on, on flying it for the last number of weeks in training and on top of the ground. And he would be probably a pacier player than Henry Shefflin, but he didn't even cause no. huge impact in the game as regards. Um, he he found it hard probably to adjust to that pace and intensity. So that might give you where where Henry would be at as regards coming in yeah. at that stage as well. So Henry Aidan would be a kind of a pacier pl- player as well. So you prefer to see Shefflin from the start if he is to make an impact. Yeah, look, I think uh, definitely with, with Henry's kind of experience, uh, all reports that he's training well, um, and sure, look, he's going to bring a huge amount to the table, but also he'll take a huge amount of watching from the tip defence. I don't think any tip defender will, will relish op- the opportunity of seeing Henry kind of um, rolling over to him, and obviously Henry will bring all his, his skill set, but he's striking and his vision, but he's, the way he drifts away from play and getting and get in good positions, I think if the likes of you have Richie Hogan and TJ Reid, that's able to pick him up. Henry mightn't have the pace of old, but he's still, still very sharp upstairs. The brain is still still working well and he's still very sharp he'll pick off the scores he'll get in the right positions but he's also a leader he'll win frees and he'll be driving the thing on so he'll be a huge option for Kilkenny to start This idea Michael that the team is picked on training or that, that Cody looks at training in these weeks and makes decisions what does that actually mean in reality when you're playing and you're a really established member of the team as you were for so long are you worried that oh, I'm on Eddie Brennan here or Henry Shefflin if I go badly tonight I could be whipped out of the team yeah, well, any of the in-house training games are, are, are played at a good pace and good intensity, but everyone wants to kind of be shown form. And, and to be honest, there is no guarantees on the, on the Kenny side because there is always competition and players looking for your spot. So I'll say a dip in form, but for any player personally himself in these weeks wants to be kind of playing well, wants to be attacking that ball in training and, and showing good touch because it brings a huge amount of confidence to their own game if they're going to be playing. But obviously anyone that's kind of maybe struggling and struggling with a marker in training is putting doubts in their head and, and Brian will see that. You know, he'll want confident players. And, and sometimes Sometimes players' form can go up and down during the season. A player can come into form and a right bit of form for a couple of weeks. Their confidence can be up. Things can be going well in their life, you know. So he'll be looking for lads with a kind of a pep in their step, and, and maybe someone that hasn't started the last day that, that might be showing that over the last number of weeks might get the opportunity. And, and Brian is very fair that way. And I suppose if, if someone is kind of showing the right kind of form, the right attitude, uh, working hard in training, but also kind of delivering and training constantly, week in week out in the sessions, you know, they will be rewarded. And if there's someone struggling with form, there's not opportunity to get him in yeah and I think you know if there were a couple of years there were probably yourself and Eddie Brennan could just have you know you win this one I'll win this one everyone just keep it on an even keel you know <laughs> nobody's going to make it heroes or villains out of people you know a week before all Ireland final I would have thought um, not the week before but certainly the week yeah, well, a couple just, of weeks everyone of weeks. just relax you know, yeah. no one needs to go and clean it anyone here you know we all just chill out yeah, certainly don't, there won't be too much talking going on in, in, on the fields and training uh, to your opponent. Look, everyone is looking out for for, their, for themselves first and obviously yeah, they're playing yeah, for yeah. the team, but um, certainly everyone likes to be going well. And no matter what kind of training, whether it's club training or county training, but certainly if you're coming up to championship games and there's a couple of places up for grabs. Look, Brian is on record as saying there's probably 11, 12 jerseys, you know, more or less kind yeah. of filled and there's two or three spots there that are a little bit uncertain. And, and I suppose when you have that, I suppose it gives 
great opportunity for any panellist to, to kind of put up his hand and to, to, to show yeah. a bit of form and stake a claim. At least they know they're not going to be sitting on the bench for the year. We've ended up talking mostly about Kilkenny here, Mars, but I think that's because there's more intrigue. As we said, there's more room for improvement. There's more likelihood of quite a few changes, changes potentially yeah. in the team here. If you're looking at tip... What can they actually bring to the table that that's any different to what, what they do? Because the manager will always say, oh, no, we can improve on that. We played well, but we can play better. But it's hard to see how they can play better than they did the last day. Are, are there specifics? Are there players or anything they can change? I think tactically, maybe they might look at the op- option of starting Michael Cal and possibly put him in an armed marking duty with Richie Hogan because he's the guy that really single-handedly pulled Kilkenny back into that game there for, for 20 minutes of the second half the last day. And for Tipperary to win this game on Saturday, they're really going to have to shut shut out Richie Hogan as much as possible. And Michael Cattle is probably their, their ace man marker, you know, a guy that can play out the field. And if Richie does drift back into centre forward again, he can go there with him, you know. And ultimately, it was him that had to pick him up for the last 10 minutes of the drawn match. So he's probably the, the one place where a change is, is quite possible that he he could come in and, and start and, and maybe take up that role from, from the outset. Outside of that, you, you're probably looking at the status quo the um, like the forwards like really clicked the last day. They'll all start, you know, and the full back line was pretty good, you know. And uh, so you'd have to say that outside of that, selection issues aren't aren't really there for him. Would you, like would you would you put Cahill start him effectively at number ten instead of Garrod Ryan play McGrath there and put Cahill back on on Richie Hogan? Is that it or no? I, I'd start him in the middle of the field and look, um, okay, there's a big option there who, who do you drop I, I would start yeah. him in the middle of the field and, and hard to know like somebody's going somebody's gonna to have to lose out if he does start but that, that's what I would do and put him in a straight one-to-one combat follow Richie Hogan everywhere because either the other two midfielders aren't really they're more kind of getting on breaking ball breaking forward both of them you know and, and look they've had seriously good seasons but Richie Hogan is the guy that'll beat them ultimately when it comes to it so he, I'd start him there and worry about Michael just briefly on personally I don't think Mickey Cal is going to start he's a fantastic hurler but I think if, if, if Tip start Mickey Cal they're limiting their options Mickey Cal is a great man to cover for both the full back line half back line midfield if there is uh, if he's needed he's definitely uh, he can solve a lot of problems there from, I don't think there's any reason to, 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 to make changes in their midfield Shane McGrath and James Woodlock scored three points the last day from play scored six points from play in the semi-final Garrod Ryan Eamon O'Shea is on record saying how valuable he is to the team he does a huge amount of work he mightn't get the scores but he drifts back to the midfield area and creates a lot of supply into the tip attack for that reason alone I think you know Tip I think Tip will probably more or less go selected and I'd say Mickey Cal will be held in reserve it might see what way Richie Hogan's influence on the game and that's when maybe Mickey Cal might be uh, but I think it'll be very hard on the likes of Garrod Ryan James Woodlock yeah. and Shane oh, McGrath if they're going to miss yeah. out so well, I think yeah. uh, he holds uh, a very good ace there in Mickey Cal as regards he can come in and slot into a number yeah. of positions Five the tip midfield got very annoyed in the build-up to the was it the semi-final when they were being written off in a lot of places. So yeah, maybe right. maybe they'll be listening to Morris here today. <laughs> trying to spur them on a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but listen, <laughs> do, do your do your neighbourly duty there, Morris. <laughs> Predictions? Can I ask you? Well, first of all, is it going to be another cracker, and who's going to win? I can't see it being as good as the last day. Now, again, last year we were saying the replay couldn't have been as good as the first game, and it turned out to be just nearly as good as it. You know, so. I think it'll be a much more um, physical battle. I think the defences might get on top a little bit more than they did the last day and I think we'll see a much more low-scoring game. Um, ultimately, Kilkenny's forwards can improve a lot, an awful lot more. I don't think there is much more improvement in Tipperary and if they do improve, step it up a couple of percentage points, I would see it as being a very close but a Kilkenny victory. OK, Michael? Yeah, similar to Morris there. Look, I think um, Kilkenny's kind of experienced. They've been down this road replay before as well. I think the experience uh, that they have, the strength and depth, but there's a huge, huge kind of room for improvement in a lot of the players. I think if they can kind of step up. Again, I think I think defences will be a bit more tighter uh, in, in the replay. They'll be trying to limit, obviously, the goal-scoring opportunities. I think there was a lot a lot of kind of mistakes as well made in defences last day, even though there were some very good performances. But I think they'll be a lot tighter. I don't think it'll be as high scoring this time around. Kilkenny, look, if they can get that kind of improvement... Um, I suppose Tip had him on the ropes but they didn't finish him off so I think the experience uh, the strength and depth might just get him over the line we've seen the experience last week with Kerry that they've been there and done that so I'm going for a Kilkenny Kerry uh, um, in all Ireland this year What's with the love in with Kerry and Kilkenny? Because you don't challenge each other you just love each other We let them away to football and they let us away to Ireland Morris O'Brien Michael Kavanagh brilliant stuff thank you Thanks very much 
flame hair, flame hair, flame throw of truth, Mr. Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around and bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Owen. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now before you give it up. I do quite like the fact that it does seem Brian Cody. A lot of managers talk about this idea of picking on form and seeing how the lads are going and training mm. and it's largely lip service I believe not too many managers make a couple of key changes for a massive match based on how a lad looks in training but it seems like Cody really really does do that the immense Michael talks about it every preview has mentioned not every preview but a lot of previews mention this it does seem like something that he commits to there's a downside to that and that it could make a player a little bit nervy the week before an All-Ireland final, as Michael was saying, if you're not going particularly well. But Cody's whole idea, I guess, is that if, if that's going to rattle you, then you don't deserve to be in the team yeah. on Saturday in Brisbane. No, he's, uh, if uh, players are a little skittish, then uh, then Brian Cody can probably probably handle that. That's not a bad way to be. I mean, if you're just so anxious to um, look after your own position and just you know be nervous about that, mm. there's probably not a whole lot of time to be thinking about, you know, hey, manager's... Not doing his job anymore. But people, yeah, people use the term ruthless the whole time and he denies that. He doesn't feel that he's ruthless. But I'm actually looking at it from the other side of things. It's actually quite a constructive way of managing. If you can if you can keep the guys you're dropping happy enough that they might come off the bench. They're it, the guys that are going to be causing you trouble anyway. Yeah. You know? If there's lads who are training for 12 months and haven't played a game, you know, haven't play, started a National League game, haven't started a Championship game, like they're the guys that are going to be disgruntled, I would have thought. Mm. And uh, he's, I think he's already played... 37 players or something already this season between league and championship which is pretty amazing I was absolutely convinced Kilkenny were going to win the first game didn't, yeah. I didn't see where all the tip hype was coming from I've turned around totally Murph you think Tipperary are going to win this game ah she'll stick with Kilkenny who, who do you think <laughs> wait that was pretty fast <laughs> were you were you going to back Tipperary there for literally half a second and yeah then, better of it. then I remember not to not to back against Kilkenny yeah. in the Ireland final uh, I have an idea that Tipperary are going to win this game but I'm not entirely sure about it, to be honest. It was the same idea you had the last time, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I'm. Yeah, I've. Oh, hold on a minute. I've got a conviction then. Wait a minute. I had a conviction three weeks ago, and I remain steadfast, Ken, steadfast to that conviction. Okay. Ken, your own um, prediction? Kilkenny will win. Tipperary have, have wasted their chance. You did go for Donegal, though, in the football, didn't you? I went for Kilkenny in the running. Even Homer nods. <laughs> All right, we've had an All Ireland final preview. US Murph on fine pre rider cup form. And I'm going to go and say it the nicest professional sportsman in America, Patrick Murray on the show today <laughs> hope you enjoyed all of that and we still have our football podcast to come so do be listening out for that show check out secondcaptains.com and follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains always good to talk to you thank you Kieran. thanks Ken thanks Kieran. thank you Owen thanks Owen thanks guys and thanks so much for listening take care Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.